Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, the 29th of March, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book, from a forward to the second edition on page XVII. And we are at the second paragraph that starts a second small group. And today's readers are the 12 Steps Melanie, 12 Traditions Lisa, and then Paula, Mary Ann, Sharon, Kim, and Hoodie. And the share code for yesterday, Thursday, the 28th, was 4171. 4171. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Melanie to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, everyone. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Oregon. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Yes. Thank you, Melanie. I will now ask Lisa to read the 12 traditions. Yes, good morning, Monica. Good morning, everyone. This is Lisa from South Jersey. 
the Twelve Traditions. Our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsive overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, I pass. Thank you, Lisa. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass, and then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. And today we are resuming our study of the big book. In the forward to the second edition (laughs) on page XVII, the second paragraph that begins, A Second Small Group. And I will ask Paula to begin reading, please. This would be Paula, Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater. A second small group promptly took shape at New York to be followed in 1937 with the start of a third at Cleveland. Besides these, there were scattered alcoholics who had picked up the basic ideas in Akron 
R. New York, who were trying to form groups in other cities. By late 1937, the number of members having substantial sobriety time behind them was sufficient to convince the membership that a new life had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. Well, here we see the progression. You know, we often see the progression of the disease, but look at what we see here, the progression of the recovery. And it says, it's so clear here how it started, a small group. It wasn't a huge group. Okay, we've got a mighty force here. Ah, but they did have a mighty force behind them. That belief. And there it was. And Boston, Cleveland, New York. But the idea, the basic, they picked up the basic idea. Okay, we don't have it all yet. But we got the basic idea. And we'll go with that. And what was the basic idea? that God could do for them what they couldn't do for themselves before they saw it. They saw it in their own lives and the lives of others. But then it went on, and I'm going to scoot right on down to this last line because we know Bill is quite the writer, but boy, he would have been a great artist because he painted with words. To show you even more clearly, the membership that I knew was sufficient to convince, Ah, uh, and we were a hard group to convince, the membership that a new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. First we see death and then we see life. We see a life that's headed nowhere to a life that is going somewhere. We all hear the phrase, a light at the end of the tunnel, but that tunnel was long and dark. And that light first seemed, as it says on the first thing, a spark, just a spark, but enough, enough. And that part had entered. It finally came in, and it was a dark world, as I said before. But, whoa, that dark world is darker no longer. Thank you for allowing me to share, and with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? Star 1 to unmute. Okay, well, I'll jump in here. This is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. So here we are in the summer of 1937, and there's approximately 40 recovered alcoholics by this point, and they're um, trying to start some new groups. But the, um, the, the last, that last line there, behind them was sufficient uh, the time behind was sufficient to convince the membership that a new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. So here's 1937, and there's approximately 40 recovered already. A new light had entered the dark world because it was mighty, beat, mighty, mighty bleak to be a, um, an alcoholic. There was no way out of it. You know, they had three things they were looking at. They were looking at being placed in an asylum, asylum, being, being put in jail, or death. There wasn't any hope for alcoholics. There wasn't any way out. But here, there's a light. There's something here. These 40 recovered people, something had happened. They were recovered. They had changed. 
They were different. They were um, resuming their lives, returning to their families, becoming productive again. They weren't looking at the jailhouse or the insane asylum or death. They had found something here. And, you know, um, I know when I came in here, things looked mighty dark and mighty bleak for me. But there was some hope. There was some light there. And with that, I will pass. And would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? I'd like this to... is Leah. Oh, sorry. And okay, I heard Leah. And who were you? What's your name, please? Chelsea. Say that again. My name is Chelsea. Chelsea, go ahead, Chelsea, and then Leah. I just wanted to say that what had uh, come out to me in this particular, um, I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. Sorry, um, that there was time behind them was sufficient to convince the membership. Um, that's. For me, that points to that whole program of attraction portion of the uh, um, tradition things. And I just feel like they led by example. They stayed recovered. And it was sufficient time to convince the membership that this actually was the solution. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Chelsea. Leah, go ahead. Thank you so much. Good morning. Everybody, my name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Uh, by late 1937, the numbers, the number of members having substantial sobriety time behind them was sufficient to convince the membership that a new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. Um, yes, I mean these men and women were. Um, getting recovered, you know, it wasn't just temporary respite. It was it was uh, a relationship with a higher power that was revolutionizing their lives, and you couldn't argue with it. You know, that's why the program of recovery um, doesn't have to stand on trial. It speaks for itself, and it convinces uh you know, those that witness it, that that something, a new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. Uh, there was a specific goal and a specific objective and a specific aim here, and that was to be recovered because Bill Wilson had had that experience and because Dr. Bob had had that experience and because Bill D. had this had had that experience, that these men were now walking the planet as free men. They had been given a, a spirit-guided mind, and they got that through the process of the 12 steps. This journey um, of alcoholism was either going to lead them to suffering and eventual death or to bliss, and recovery brought them to this uh, spiritual journey, which meant bliss and freedom, and it was a new light. It was a new light. Relapse is not hope. A message of relapse and a message of progression in the disease is not a message of hope. But these men and women, even though this was early uh, in 1937, uh, this was something you couldn't argue with. 
you know, these men and women through enough suffering and through enough pain and through enough degradation that had broken them down um, had allowed a new opportunity to begin. And that was going to revolutionize their life, and that was a relationship with God. And that was what was sufficient enough to convince the membership that a new light had entered the dark world of the alcoholic. You could either cry in the darkness and continue to progress in alcoholism, or you can light a candle. And that's what the program of recovery allowed. It allowed a new light. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Good morning, Monica. This is Margaret. Good morning, Margaret. Good morning in South Jersey. Good morning, everyone. Um, this this sentence, it just always amazed me that they had such strength, God had given them such strength and hope and that they saw that a new light had entered the dark world. And, you know, in the next paragraph, they're going to be putting this book out. They're going to be putting it out before the world. And it always reminds me of page 13 when you know, when Abby said to Bill, my friend promised when these things were done I would enter upon a new relationship with my creator, that I would have the elements of way of living which answered all my problems. But that word promised was always like, God, how could Abby promise that? But he did. He did promise it because he knew it was possible. And and the same thing here. Like, they knew it was real. They knew it was real, and they were going to put it out to the world. And and so grateful are we that we get to read and study this and know that it's true. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? I heard Sharon, and was there someone else? Christina. Christina. Sharon and then Christina. Well, good morning, Monica, and to all on the phone. This is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The thing that really strikes me in this paragraph is that uh, the number of members, the number of members having substantial sobriety time behind them uh, was sufficient to convince the membership that a new light had entered the dark world of of the alcoholic. So here you had a group being a group of people who had recovered or were getting recovered that they they were convinced that the individual could get recovered. And... It, it always strikes me that when I, I got recovered, the, the, the started my recovery, person who was my sponsor had, uh, let's see, maybe I started me off, she had three months, three months. And now I hear people saying, well, I've only been asking for a year. I don't know that I can, uh, I don't feel ready uh, I'm not sure. It's it, and and even people with three and four months can be of such help. And I'm sure that it says that these people were going from city to city, Akron to New York, and forming and trying to form groups. These were people who didn't have long-term recovery. 
And oftentimes we're, we're waiting to be sure that our abstinence is going to stick. And sometimes that really, I, it, it's understandable because for many of us, we were on and off the wagon so much that uh, we, we could never be sure if we were abstinent or not because, you know, maybe this is, we'll be back off tomorrow. But it was the group that of recovered people that con- made it convincing. It wasn't the individual. So I don't have to just depend upon my own recovery to know that I've got it. I can see that this group of people that I'm uh, linked in with have solid recovery. Therefore, I don't have to wait until I have a year or six months before I can start helping the next uh, compulsive overeater. I always, we always say, you know, if you've got 24 hours, you've got more than the next person, so you can immediately start helping. This is how this thing grew. It didn't grow by people waiting on the sideline until they had it all together. Because as you can see here, they they didn't say we felt we had it all together. Just the number of members having substantial sobriety, just substantial not even significant, but substantial, just enough, just enough. And then let's let's keep working this. Let's keep working this. So it's really critical in the 12-step program that we, we immediately start working. And that's what Bill did. He worked for six months before he convinced the next alcoholic. But he didn't wait until he had substantial recovery before he started working, we start working right away. And that's how we start building up our recovery. We start working this program, working on giving it away, working on helping the next uh, compulsive overeater. And that's how the fellowship grows. That's how we, we get it. We start working right away, giving away the little bit that we have. Uh, not beyond that, but just whatever we have. We start giving away what we've been given, and that's how this program grows. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Christina, go ahead. Okay. My name is Christina. I'm calling from Germany. I'm a compulsive eater and a food addict. And, uh, yes, with the grace of God today, abstinent and free and in recovery. Thank you all for to being here and uh, for to do service. Um, in this paragraph, um, it's good for me to be reminded that it is very important to be connected to another compulsive overeater, to another addict. Um, with it, with this, I feel connected to my higher power, and um, I, I had a lot of, I did a lot of experiences that um, God spoke to me uh, through another person, and. Um, it's so such a power, and um, it's such a power to share honest um, life stories and experiences, and yes, hope and strength and recovery. It's such a gift with this program, and um, 
for me it just works um, in action that um, yes I, I just can save my recovery if I give it away to someone else it's, it's the action of this program um, yes and I feel a lot of gratitude to be a member of this great um, community <laughs> I can say so um, thank you very much for to being here and uh, that I can share with this I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Christina. And now let's move on to the next paragraph. And Mary Ann, would you read, please? Star one to unmute. Good morning. My name is Mary Ann, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Montana. It was now time the struggling groups thought to place the message in unique experience before the world. This determination bore fruit in the spring of 1939 by the publication of this volume. The membership had then reached about 100 men and women. The fledging society, which had been nameless, now, became, now began to be called Alcoholics Anonymous from the title of its own book. The flying blind period ended in AA entered a new phase of its pioneering time. And with that, I will pass. Thank you, Marianne. Would anyone like to share on this paragraph? This is Paula. May I share? Go ahead, Paula. Well, what a paragraph. You know, I, I, I'm going to sit that first line. It was a struggling group thought to place their message. There it is. They're the seeds, their message, in unique. Now, that's without like or equal. They never had an experience like this before. Death and life, well, they're the experience. Before the world, that's where they placed it. And then it says, this determination, those seeds, bore fruit in the spring of 1939 by the publication of this volume. But I want to zip on down right here. Scoot down to the flying blind period ended, and AA entered a new phase of its pioneering time. Flying blind. You know, I love the way he puts descriptions. Come on, can you visualize it? To fly blind, honey, is all you do is hit one wall after another. You don't go nowhere but down. But that part ended. It ended. Now, with that, yes, a vision for you. Here, the vision came into place. From no sight to sight. Now, miracles? Yes. Supernatural happenings? You bet. Thank you for allowing me to share and with that I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Kim. Good morning, Kim. Go ahead. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. It was now time the struggling group thought to place their message and unique experience before the world. So why was it unique? You know, what was the common experience of an alcoholic prior to Alcoholics Anonymous? So I'm going to read on page um, 151 in the vision for you. What was the experience that these alcoholics had prior to, you know, this, this message of recovery? He said old pleasures were gone. They were but memories. Never could we recapture the great moments of the past. There was an insistent yearning to enjoy life as we once did and a heartbreaking obsession that some new miracle of control enabled us to do it. There was always one more attempt, 
and one more failure. The less people tolerate us, the more we withdrew from society, from life itself. As we became subjects to King Alcohol, shivering denizens of his mad realm, the chilling vapor that his loneliness settled down, is thickened, ever becoming blacker. Some of us sought out sordid places, hoping to find understanding, companionship, and approval. Momentarily we did, then would come oblivion, and the awful awakening to face the hideous four horsemen, terror, bewilderment, frustration, despair, unhappy drinkers who reach this page will understand. That was the common experience. Among alcoholics, there was no hope for them. So what is this unique experience? What, is it, what does it feel like when people become recovered and then begin to carry that message? Because once again, we can't carry a message we do not have. So first, we must become recovered. Second, we must become recovered. Third, we must become recovered. And then we can carry this message. So what does that look like? I'm going to read from page 89. Life will take on new meaning. To watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up of value, to have a host of friends, this is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. So I think we need to ask ourselves, what are our meetings carrying? Are we carrying that message of seeking out sordid places, hoping to find understanding and companionship and approval in the disease? Or are meetings carrying this message that you can recover from this seemingly hopeless state of mind? You know, when I'm sponsoring and my girls get to step 10 and we're living in 10, 11, and 12 and they're beginning to carry that message, I always remind them, you know, you are now in the sales force. Every contact you give with someone, you need to be carrying this message, whether you're sharing in a meeting, whether you're making a phone call, whether you're sponsoring 101, or whether you're casually mentioning that you are in a program of recovery to someone who is not in this program. You know, that is the unique experience that these meetings are supposed to bring. We're not supposed to be bringing the common experience of living in the disease, but the unique experience of escaping, escaping from this, the alcoholic torture that each of us is very familiar with. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Yes, thank you. I, too, would like to jump in on this statement. It was now time the struggling groups thought to place their message and unique experience before the world. Um, yeah, what, you know, what was their message? Their message was that they had recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Um, this was a very specific message, very specific message. It wasn't about just mere elimination of alcohol. This was about being recovered. Remember the title page. The title page, the, you know, right as you open the book, it smacks you right in the face. Alcoholics Anonymous, how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. That was their message, that there was a specific place, an aim, a goal, an objective to get to, and it was possible to get there. And it was much more than just the mere elimination of, of uh, alcohol. They had done that hundreds of times. They had stopped 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Just read Bill's story for an example. How do you stay stopped? That's the real question that all of us have. That's the real question that alcoholics had. That's the real question that a compulsive overeater who shows up here on this line or in a variety of meetings around the country. How do you stay stopped? I've stopped hundreds of times. How do you stay stopped? That's the real question. Recovery is a specific goal. Because if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. But there is a specific path here that we trudge. Recovery, sobriety, it's more than just the simple elimination of alcohol or, for us, binge foods. It's wholeness. It's soundness. It's a restoration of one's life. It's a reordered life. It's a renewed life. It's a renewed life. It's a transformation. We know it as a spiritual awakening or a spiritual experience, or a psychic change, or a personality change. All of these descriptions, all this terminology means the same thing. A personality change sufficient to bring about recovery where we have been restored to sanity, soundness of mind. Remember, the greater aspect of the disease resides in the mind. Recovery means that the greater aspect of the disease, the obsession of the mind, has been expelled. It's been driven out. So we've been relieved of the obsession. These men and women had been relieved of the obsession. It allowed them to walk the planet, to walk this earth, free men and women, and that is the prize. That was the prize. And these steps were designed to bring about that very specific experience. So it says it was now time the struggling group sought to place their message These men and women who had recovered, they were now equipped to carry that message because they had recovered. They carried a message of depth and weight. They were properly armed with facts about themselves. And with those facts, they were able to win the entire confidence of other alcoholics. And they were the ones to carry this message. Why were recovered alcoholics the ones to to carry this message? Because they're the experts. They were the experts on the disease they were recovering from, and nobody really knew what it was like to be a to be an alcoholic, except an alcoholic, and nobody knew more about recovery from alcoholism than a recovered alcoholic. Same goes for you and I. We're all compulsive overeaters on this line. If you weren't, you would not be here. But a recovered compulsive overeater has an even uh, more, more experience because we've recovered from that condition. A recovered compulsive overeater has a stronger message of hope to take to other compulsive overeaters than anyone else. In fact, everything you are and do as a recovering person can bring hope and light and perhaps even recovery to another compulsive overeater who is still suffering. So they had a specific message, and this book was designed to bring about that experience. It said the fledgling society, which had been nameless, now began to be called Alcoholics Anonymous from the title of its own book. So they had been groping their way along what they had hoped would be the road to freedom, and once they became sure that their feet were set on the right track, they decided upon a book which would tell other alcoholics the great news, 
the great message of hope. They were like pieces of a mosaic that when put together formed a picture of hope. And they decided upon a book. They had some other ideas, too. They thought they'd open up a chain of hospitals or send out some missionaries. But in the end, it was decided upon a book in which they could tell other alcoholics the great news, that there was a way out. That's the same great news that those of us that are recovered on this line shout every morning. And as this book took form, they inscribed in it. Who inscribed in it? Those who were recovered. Those who were recovered inscribed in these pages the essence of their experience. Not a common experience, but their experience. Their experience of being transformed. And this book, these pages that were penned were the product of thousands of hours of discussion and it truly represents the collective voice and the heart and the conscience of those who had pioneered these first four years of AA. And that's why we study these pages today. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Let's move on to the next paragraph. And Sharon, would you please read that? Good morning. This is Sharon, Recovered Compulsive Overeater again. Thank you. Let's see. With the appearance of the new book, a great deal began to happen. Dr. Harry Emerson Fosdick, the noted clergy, reviewed it with approval. In the fall of 1939, Fulton or Ausler, then editor, of Liberty printed a piece of alcohol and God. This brought a rush of 800 frantic inquiries into the New York office, which meanwhile had been established. Each inquiry was sent out. Business traveling out of existing groups were referred to these prospective newcomers. New groups started up, found. A's message could be transmitted in the mail as well as by, by the Sharon, we've lost. We're losing you, Sharon. Oh, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Let me know if you lose me again. I, um, that eight hundred uh that eight hundred let me get back to my place here. It was estimated that eight hundred alcoholics were on their way to recovery. Now this is really a lot of energy, a lot of excitement, a lot of things happening. But the thing that really there's a few words that jump out at me from this paragraph. One is the word frantic. When these, when the, there's 800 frantic inquiries, and how were they going to deal with this? Uh, the way they dealt with it was painstakingly. They really took each inquiry seriously. Because behind each letter, behind each letter was, was a suffering addict, a suffering addict alcoholic 
and they took themselves seriously. Now they and they took this work of recovery, of reaching out to other alcoholics. They took it seriously. So they painstakingly. They they took their time. They they took it seriously. And what they found is that 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 what they didn't realize at first was that they could transmit that spark. They could transmit this program through the mail. And today we're learning that there's all sorts of different ways that we can transmit this message of recovery. We have to take it seriously. We have to recognize that there are frantic people on the other end. And and that this work that we do, this personal work that we do when we reach out to the still suffering is very serious work and it's worth our paying attention. It's worth our taking our time and energy to do this work because we can have a great impact. We can be of great benefit to others as we reach out. The other thing that I want to point out in this paragraph is that uh, there were businessmen traveling out of existing groups were referred to these prospective newcomers. So that there were people, there were men and women who were recovering who would then, just by the flow of their natural life, their business, they had to go into other areas. And when they went into those other areas, they would take their recovery with them and pass it on to these people that had been frantically trying to get help. And what that speaks to me is that in my everyday life, keep my eyes open because I don't have to be at a meeting to share my recovery. Quite the contrary. It's when, well, I share it at a meeting for sure, but when I go out into the world, when I am doing my regular duties and of my life, that's also when I can bring and take recovery to the still suffering. Keep my eyes open so that I can be of love and service wherever I go, whatever I do, because there are frantic, compulsive overeaters out there seeking recovery, and I can be of service to them if I am available. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone else like to share in this paragraph? Okay, this is Monica, and I will jump in here. With the appearance of a new book, a great deal began to happen. You know, before this, um, before this time, before this book came out and was publicized and put out there, you know, there was absolutely no hope for alcoholics. You know, because alcoholism was considered to be a moral issue. You know, these people were 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 weak-willed. They were sinners. It was, you know, it was thought, well, you know, just straighten up and fly right here. Well, what's wrong with you, buddy? Well, this book came out, and in it, right off the bat, they were given a lot of hope when it said, you know, thousands of us have recovered from alcoholism. And then they go on to read the doctor's opinion. And lo and behold, what are they hearing? What are they reading in there? You have a disease. 
a twofold disease. There's a physical aspect to this disease and a spiritual mental aspect to this disease. And no one had known this before. They were always thought of as moral issues. So this gave a lot of hope. And these alcoholics who picked up this book and read this went, wow. And they started reading what Bill had to say, and they could relate. They could identify what hope this must have brought them. And then again, this book went on to say, and they said, we are going to tell you precisely how we have recovered. Not only did it give them hope, but they were given directions on how to recover from this seemingly hopeless state of mind. Can you imagine the excitement, the hope? Can you imagine someone, uh, a spouse, picking up this book, hearing about this book here, and bringing it home, and sharing it with her husband or his wife? What hope this gave. And with that, I will pass. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Hi, this is Meg. May I share? Go ahead, Meg. Hello, this is Meg, Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Vermont. When I read this paragraph, certainly the word, this last sentence, by the end of 1939, it was estimated that 800 alcoholics were on their way to recovery. I just, I stand here and I, I imagine what it was like for the first hundred who were in, who were recovered, and all of a sudden there were 700 more people knocking on their door, trying to get in, trying to get this recovery because they were desperate for it. They were desperate for it. And if one of those hundred first recovered alcoholics was to sponsor, they would have had to sponsor 70 people at once. (laughs) But that's not how it works. It's so wonderful because that's not how it works. If one of those recovered people sponsored just two other people, and then those two other people sponsored two other people, and then those two other people sponsored two other people, and then those two other people sponsored two other people, and then those two other people sponsored two other people, then, then you have 800 recovering people. That is six generations. And you can shorten that up if you sponsor more people and if you count the fact that people are becoming recovered and and these previous sponsors are taking in new sponsees. And it's just such a wonderful fact that this is how we multiply. This is how we spread our message. And we see here that this is the first time that this was really happening and that you know, you could really see the numbers, and it's amazing. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Meg. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? This is Christy. Good morning, it's Rick. Oh, I heard Christy and then Rick. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, A Vision for You. This is Christy, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, you know, there's a, there are a few things in this paragraph that jump out at me. Uh, you know, that rush of 800 frantic inquiries that came into the New York office. Um, 
And, uh, you know, each inquiry was painstakingly answered. Pamphlets and books were sent out. Businessmen traveling out of existing groups were referred to these pers prospective newcomers. And, you know, what was the goal? Was it to build a pyramid scheme, some crazy pyramid scheme, so that the people on the top could make money from the people, you know, down lower on the pyramid? No, not at all. Um, you know, the purpose, first of all, you know, you've got 800 frantic inquiries, 800 frantic people, let's say, out there desperate for recovery. I mean, I can't imagine being around, you know, having, having been on a ship that was sinking and being in a lifeboat and, um, you know, watching people frantically wave their arms saying, can you pull me in? And I'd be the only one in the lifeboat, you know, and I'd say, no, I'm, I'm busy right now bobbing around in this lifeboat. I'm just a little busy right now enjoying this lifeboat all to myself. You know, of course, of course, I would throw out a life ring. Of course, I would pull people into the lifeboat. I hope I would do that. Um, you know, I, the other part, too, is, um, you know, each, each inquiry being painstakingly answered by sending out pamphlets and books and having businessmen go out and meet with these new people, you know, um, it just reminds me that... Uh, you know, that's, you know, when I first got into recovery that people told me to keep busy. You know, what am I going to do between meals now? What am I going to do? Because what I used to do between meals is eat. You know, I would eat and then I would eat and then I would eat and then it would be time for lunch. And uh, I was told to get busy and I was told to get busy by giving service. And that's exactly what I have done. And that has saved me. That has saved me. You know, get busy um, talking to newcomers, get busy, you know, when the time was right for me and I'd had a little, put a little recovery, a few 24 hours under my belt to start working with sponsees. Um, and it was a fairly short period of time, you know, within three months I was sponsoring other people. Um, and, um, you know, businessmen, instead of hanging out in bars, you know, were advised to go meet with people. You know, let's keep you out of the bars that you would maybe normally spend an evening in, you know, on a business trip when you're out alone on the road, and let's have you go meet with people, um, because that will keep you sober. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I'm not the type of person that would get up at 6 o'clock in the morning central time and, you know, hop onto a phone meeting. The only thing that used to get me out of bed was either the idea that I was going to miss the fast food breakfast hour you know, because they stop serving breakfast before I get out of bed, or the idea of breakfast. That used to just get me, you know, I could bounce out of bed, all 340 pounds of me, bounce out of bed, get in the car, and go get breakfast. You know, that's, that got me out of bed. And it also got me a life of misery and hell. And uh, the life I have today is much, much, much incredibly I mean, I can't even describe it. There aren't enough adjectives to describe how my life is today. You know, my life has been transformed today. My life has been saved today because I put in a little effort. You know, I painstakingly, you know, with meticulous attention to detail, told other people how I recovered. That's all I had to do. That's all I had to do. I didn't have to, you know, learn a whole lot of new stuff. I just had to talk to people about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, and help other people extend a hand, throw a life ring out, and pull other people into that lifeboat.
so you've got other people you can talk to in the lifeboat and you're not in there with your crazy brain. Um, you know, it's a win-win. It's a win-win for everybody. It's a win-win for everyone except for maybe the fast food place that doesn't get my business anymore. Um, I am uh, just so grateful for that, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Christy, and good morning, Rick. Go ahead. Good morning. My name is Rick. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. With the appearance of the new book, a great deal began to happen. Dr. Harry Emerson Fosdick, the noted clergyman, reviewed it with approval. Now, for the first time, this program was in black and white. Up until this point, this uh, program of recovery has been transmitted primarily by word of mouth. And the book was in print. And there was a lot of uh, anxiety over what would happen when the program was reviewed by many members of the various religious denominations. So if we turn to page 572, we can see the words that Fosdick spoke. And he, he said on page 572, I think that psychologically speaking, there is a point of advantage in the approach that is being made in this movement that cannot be duplicated. I suspect that if it is wisely handled, and it seems to be in wise, prudent hands, there are doors of opportunity ahead of this project that may surpass our capacities to imagine. So he gave his approval to the program, to the ideas, the concepts, and the principles written in this book. And you can go on further on that page and see other people that gave the approval to the program in that appendix that's entitled The Religious Views on AA. And I'm not going to go through it all, but there's, there's other denominations that the writers of this book were fearful of. They, quite frankly, didn't know how it was going to be accepted. And they thought the future of their program might hinge on the fact of whether or not certain groups gave approval to the program. And we can see there where other denominations gave approval and, and uh, important people in different groups approved of the program of recovery. So the, the writing of the book was important in many aspects. Not only was the, the book pr put in print for us, but had it been reviewed skeptically and, and negatively, who knows? Who knows what would have happened to the, uh, the small society that had been, been uh been starting out in the previous few years. So it's, uh, I suggest read the, uh, the appendix on the religious view on AA and uh, some insight can be gained. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Rick. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph? Yes, I would, please. Penny E. from South Jersey. Go ahead, Penny E. Well, thank you. Good morning, everybody. Penny E. recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. I just had to uh, raise my hand here and share. Um, I'm feeling so overwhelmed with gratitude, with gratitude. You know, somebody shared this morning on the line, you know, how exciting this was for people who were putting family members in, in um, mental institutions, in jail. They were killing themselves. They were dying. You know, how exciting the hope 
And I'm sitting here almost out of breath with the excitement of the newcomer on this line, listening to this hope, listening to this hope, with the excitement of the person who's been in OA for years and years and years and had been working that program of supported dieting, working the program of abstinence as opposed to the program of recovery. Here it is, uh, and how fortunate we are today. It says, a message could be transmitted uh, in the mail as well as by word of mouth. And we here in the 21st century are in our homes, some of us in pajamas, some of us, you know, and this is being spread by person to person. I mean, this is incredible information. The importance of this is I don't even have the word. I don't even have the word and the excitement for me. I'm recovered today. I'm recovered. I, my life is based on a power greater than myself. I've been transformed. I react and think and uh, differently. I recoil as if from a hot flame, maintaining, you know, over a 100-pound weight loss for 24 years through the grace of God. And I am so excited. I'm just so excited, especially for you who are new and who are just trying to come back. We can't argue with what's in this book. We can't argue with experience, you know. Sometimes in the OA rooms where I live, it's like whispering down the lane. You know, this is what the book says, but then Sarah gives it to Bruce and Bruce gives it to Mark and Mark gives it to so-and-so. And by the time we, we get the message, uh, we're on a diet program, you know. We've got to get back to this and identify in. It is just so rich, so fabulous, and I am privileged to be here with all of you today. I know there's probably well over 150 people. And what's the word they use in here? Um, not desperate. I underlined it so I could use it. Uh, inquired pain. Oh, I can't find the word, but it says that they're, they're desperate. They're um, Whatever it is, I am just so blessed to be here with you. I love you all. And if you're new, if you haven't found any recovery in these rooms, please keep coming back to this line and studying with us. It's, uh, it's incredible. Thank you. Have a God-filled day, everybody. Thank you, Penny, and thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And Kim, can you read a vision for you, please? Absolutely. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.